Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, which is part of the nonprofit called Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we're devoted to supporting and improving children's mental health and wellness and providing support for the families. As the founder of these organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with a team of amazing people to help bring healing to their children and families around the world. You can find all of our information at elfempowers.org, and you can find this link in the show information. Now, let's talk wellness with today's host, Jessica Hubbard. Jessica is the CEO of Casa Youth Shelter. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to meet you. And I know we met kind of recently, and I definitely felt that the universe has brought us together to do some um, serious work because there's a lot of suffering going on. So tell us first about Casa Youth Shelter um, and all the amazing work you do there. And then we'll get back into uh, you and why you chose this line of work. Yeah, thank you. So Casa Youth Shelter is somewhat of a best kept secret hidden gem of Orange County. We have been around for 45 years. We're celebrating our 45th Sapphire anniversary this year. And I find myself sharing our mission and our story with so many folks. And they're like, I have not heard of this or I can't believe what's going on. But um, we have, and I'm proud to share that it's a part of generational impact because when you have 45 years under your belt, you are transforming generations and a community. So we serve kids um, in crisis, kids in crisis, runaway youth, throwaway youth. And I use air quotes because it's the actual government term, although it's the kind of word that stops you in your tracks and you're how can you refer to a human as throwaway? But this is literally what's happened to these kids that we serve and so many kids that they are thrown out of their home or place of residence. So we serve um, runaway, throwaway, um, and trafficked individuals, kids um, who are looking for peace and, and assistance and services and resources. So the shelter is in our name. Um, but it's more than a shelter. And what I love to highlight to folks is, yes, we do provide this safe bed and the warm meals, but it's beyond the shelter where the real magic happens. And that's in the therapy and the mental health services, which is where I think our work and our purposes align, Mara. And that's why I know when we met, it was just like, all right, things are happening. So yeah, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and what, what age range do you work with? 12 to 17 year olds. Oh, wow. um, still kiddos. It's the area of population where you have um, the least amount of protective custody intervention happening from social services, unfortunately. Um, So they're out there and we know that abuse escalates as they're getting older. So these are kiddos that are in desperate need of of support and safety. And I'm so proud they can find it with Gossa Youth Shelter. 
that I was just so excited when I found out because I knew there's another organization, Orange County, CASA, and a lot of people get them confused. I'm like, wow, that's with more with foster kids. But what you're doing is so profound. And as I've worked on my own healing and I've seen that we keep manifesting our childhood traumas. So if you could help them or we could help them at that stage to like heal their trauma so they don't have to keep manifesting, it will be transformational. It's so true. And that's, and like I said, that's where the magic happens here. It's we're short-term or emergency housing. So this is not intended to be your permanent resting place. It's a, it's a temporary space for you to have some safety and some respite and gain some incredible skills for you to hopefully take back home and reunify with your family or primary caregiver. That's not always a possibility in which we will then work with other organizations to find you permanent, safe and stable housing. But regardless, your time here, whether it's three days or three months, you're gaining those skills so that you can take them beyond and with you. And that's what we hear from so many of our residents, our past residents and kids that we've served that doesn't matter how long they were here, they took that those skills and what they gained with, with from CASA um, onto the next journey. Wow, that is so powerful. And it's such an impactful age, right? Um, I mean, the brain doesn't stop growing to what, 25? Yeah, I know that from my healing journey, if at 48 years old to 57 year old years old was, you know, all about that inner child. So for you to get them at that age and stage is so profound. Um, so tell me, big question, of course, everyone's probably curious. How did you get into this line of work? And tell us a little bit about your education when you were younger. Yeah, sure. So I, it's been a windy road for me. I started off um, at the University of Florida, majoring in criminology and law, had a real passion for that area. Um, scooped up a minor in religious studies, just because why the heck not? And it was interesting and um, needed a job after graduation, honestly, just needed a job and wasn't sure what I was going to do. Had not, I, I thought maybe law school down the road, but I don't know if it's right for me. Can I even get in? Am I good enough? All that imposter syndrome that we experience, especially as women. So I started teaching because I knew that all you really needed was an undergraduate, a bachelor's degree. You can walk right into the classroom. And that's what I did. All of the age of like 22 years old, I was a baby and started teaching middle school English and fell truly madly and deeply in love with teaching and thought, oh my goodness, this is the great love of my life, teaching and um, the creativity that every day is different and of course impacting the lives of so many incredible young people. Um, but I became disheartened around my sixth, seventh year of teaching and decided to leave in my eighth year. Um, it, was, it was tough losing so many kids year after year to the criminal justice system, um, to unwanted, unplanned teenage pregnancy. There was just a lot of things that were interrupting their educational journey and the futures that I know that we had imagined together for them. And that was heartbreaking. I wanted to do more. I felt like I had to do more. Um, I got my master's degree in education. I thought that could maybe help me if I worked on the higher end of education. No, that was not the right path. And I decided to go to law school. And so I moved out West here to California. Um, I was teaching at the time in Florida. And um, loved law school, loved the practice and the, sorry, loved the, the study of law, not the practice of law mm. as much, nearly at all. 
and knew about halfway through law school that I was probably not going to ever practice a day in my life, which was true. So I finished law school and um, found nonprofit, nonprofit work soon after, which combined, you've got direct impact for youth. And then my favorite element, which is the storytelling, or at least not my favorite, I think that's just one of the pieces that I love, is the, the storytelling. Um, and I often share that I think it's one of my superpowers. Um, as a, a young kid um, growing up in a house of trauma, abuse, and neglect, I had a little sister. And um, it was often my responsibility to, you know, look after her and entertain her so that our day was occupied and it wouldn't feel so miserable. We played Barbies all day long. And by play Barbies, I mean, I was playing and acting things out for her and telling stories. So that was my first experience in storytelling, which I now use in my work. Wow. How old um, is your sister? sister? How much younger is she than you? We're three years apart. Wow. So you had to play mother at what age? I wouldn't say mom. I would say like very attentive big sister, you know, and I made sure that a lot of those days that, you know, just she was taken care of and that we we were getting our food and we were um, and staying out of the way of the the grownups is, is the biggest task. Um, and we were, that was all throughout our childhood. We, you know, we, we stayed home most of the time and, um, yeah. and we just stay in our room and I, I kept her safe and entertained her with Barbie storylines. Wow. Well, thank God you had each other. Yes. My right, best definitely. I hope you were also taking care of yourself as you was taking, as you were taking care of her. <laughs> you know, we, we do our best, right? As <laughs> yes. Oh, well, I think it's like that fight or flight and we're just, we do what we have to do. We don't even think later on in life, it might affect us, but during it, we just, you know, have to do what we have to do. Yeah. It's so true. So now were you drawn, so 22 years old, you became a middle school English teacher. Wow. That's amazing. And you were working with the title one schools for some people that don't know, those are, um, those are um, nationally funded schools. It's, um, yeah, it can be anywhere in the country and it's um, a special designation of a school where you have higher needs. So it has to do with the percentage of the population that it might be economically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are usually areas or schools that have higher need. So it was a title one school. I think it's like something 80 something percent or on free and reduced lunch would, would have been the statistic at the time. So. Oh, I love that. And why did you pick that versus quote unquote, like a regular school, public school or private school? Um, I guess I just was always drawn to that impact. I mean, I, I say now that I'm an impact junkie. I mean, I say that with respect to those facing addiction, but I'm, I, I feel addicted to making an impact and a difference in this world. And you can make that anywhere in teaching. You can do that any place you work, really. Um, but I felt it and I felt this pull and this draw to helping those populations that needed the most help because I, I came from that. That's what I that's what I was. And and um yeah, and I and I know where there's so much lacking in those areas and communities. And definitely, you you know, they're higher risk, and you know whether it's drugs or homelessness. So I love that upstream approach, helping younger and younger to really change their trajectory. Yes. Oh, I am all about the upstream. So what I'm loving about here at Casa too is that we are both upstream and downstream. It's the perfect marriage of both of those tactical approaches to service. And can you, for people that aren't familiar with upstream and downstream, can you share with them 
Absolutely. Yeah, it comes from that that story of um, a community of folks and um, kids are flowing down this river and drowning in this in this river. We have to save them. We have to save them. And people are constantly pulling them out of the the river and providing CPR. And then someone's finally like, well, what if we go to the mouth of the river? What if we go all the way upstream and figure out why the kids are falling in the river to begin with? So CASA, I think, does that really, really well and that it's preventative, it's upstream and that we're working with kids and we're working with kids early on, you know, 12, 13, all the way to 18 years old. But it's also downstream because they're technically already nearly drowning because they are in crisis. But there's their youth because there's so much promise and there's so much hope and and they're the most resilient individuals that you can find. And it's funny, I use a similar analogy, but it's more like they're jumping off the bridge upstream. So how do we prevent them from jumping off? So upstream would be like, prevent them from jumping off, don't even get in the water, and then taking them out of the water, which leads me to my next question. How do these beautiful children and individuals find you? How do you find them? Oh my goodness. It's a number of ways in which they can find us here at Casa Youth Shelter. Um, It could be a parent brings them here and says, I need help, or I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to parent this child, which is heartbreaking to hear, but it is factual. Um, It could be from our local law enforcement, which we have a really strong decades of partnership with local law enforcement. In fact, the chief of police for Los Alamitos sits on our board. And so they know that if they are experiencing runaway youth or situations of conflict, that this is a safe place where they can bring those kids. Um, It could come from our school partners. Um, There's just a number and word of mouth too. And there's also a ton of kids that will find us out, seek us out or looking for a place, a safe place to stay and and might self-refer here. So it does not matter how they find us or how they get here. We're just, we're just glad that they're here. Wow. Um, so what you first said is heartbreaking. Um, parent doesn't want to parent their own child. What What are some of those reasons? What does that look like? And of course, helping that child to love themselves when one of their own parents don't love them. Can you share with us about that? Yeah, I will. And that I'm glad you mentioned that too, about um, the work afterwards, because the therapy is it's the magic here that's taking place because there's the shelter and the safety of the bed and the and the the facility that really feels like a house. Hmm. But it's the therapy that's so important that and actually is really what kind of distinguishes us from other shelters that you that are around um, in the state or out in throughout the country, because it is that safety and it is you know those three warm nutritious meals a day, but it's the therapy too, that every child that comes in here receives an individualized case management plan, including individual therapy, group therapy, and family counseling and therapy, which we hope to engage the family or primary caregiver, not always a possibility, but so what does that look like for those kids that are here? It could be, and there's been a couple of these that I've seen since I've been here, um, you know, parent, mom usually might have a new romantic partner, a new boyfriend, let's say, and is no longer interested in caring for the children from their previous relationship. And, you know, they are, that parent wants a clean slate and to move forward with their new romantic partner. 
And so they don't want those children um, and might, might bring them here. And will there, do sometimes have siblings that come, not just individual child? Sometimes, yes, if they fall within that age range. Um, yes, that could, that could happen as well. I haven't seen siblings, I think, since I've been here. Okay. Wow. It's so heartbreaking. Um, and it just shows like, you know, as parents and you and I are both parents with different age children, you know, we only, the parents parent the best they can, but parents have their own traumas and sometimes they're just thinking about themselves and maybe their child, their child, they think gets in the way and, but it's so harmful to that child. It's, and I love, yeah, that yeah. you're coming in to help rescue that child when their parent, the parent needs the therapy, the parent needs the, the, um, you know, all the, the, the parenting for that child. They do. And that's why family counseling and therapy is part of the plan here. It's part of the, the care plan while the kids are here and then part of the aftercare plan. So after their time as a resident um, is completed, then we also provide aftercare. And it's a huge part of, of the work that's being done. And I always say that, um, you know, the one that the parents, they're doing the best they can. It's the words that I use to describe my own parents. They did the best they could with what they had, meaning the equipment, the tools, the resources that they had themselves in their toolboxes. And then, um, you know, that there's that, there's that our, our, our kids right now will be grown up. So every one of those grown ups and every one of those parents were once kids that we could have served. And I think when you approach it with that sort of empathy and love that I don't love your choices right now as a parent and as a grown up, but I know you're operating from a place of your own trauma and that you were once one of those kids that could have used a Casa Youth Shelter yourself. Mm, that is so amazing. So what I want to do, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. I'm going to go dive a little deeper if you're okay with uh, your personal history, share a little bit about mind and, um, and so everyone could hold on. I'll be right back. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. 
I am your host, Mara James, and today we're talking with Jessica Hubbard, the CEO of Casa Youth Shelter. Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you so much. Okay, so now we go dig deep, and I love you because we haven't had this conversation yet. So this is the first that we're having it, um, and we'll go as deep as you allow us to, and... Um, and I'll start off by creating the vulnerability that I've um, shared before just about my childhood. I didn't even know I had any issues until I was 48, had a manic episode, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, started my healing journey um, after four years. So at the age of 52, I finally had a, a memory or realization that my own father molested me as a three and four-year-old child. And then I found out later that there was somebody else. So creating a safe and open space. Um, and of course I've healed. So now I can smile when I share about the story. Um, so we'd love to hear a little bit about your childhood. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, thank you for sharing. Um, I want to honor your experience and story. So thank you for sharing with me. Um, yeah, so I grew up in um, a conflict-heavy home, and in periods of my childhood, we experienced um, poverty, uh, neglect, abuse. Um, I feel it's important to share these pieces because that's the population of youth that I serve, and I really want my kids to know um, that it's okay and it gets better and you can move through this. And I want the community to know what poverty, abuse, neglect looks like, because I think there's this misconception that it looks one way and it looks all ways. And I was, um, I was a good kid, a straight A student, and I was always clean enough and fed enough and I had no visible marks on my body. I wasn't the kind of kid that would have raised a lot of red flags, but I could have used, um, Oh, well, on this track, I could have used a call and services. Um, when I was in middle school, there was a teacher that um, became close to me and my family and began the process of grooming. And the word grooming is used a lot these days to, um, I think, like as a misfire to talk about some types of behavior. Um, I know grooming. I experience grooming and I see grooming with our kids all the time. And um, I was also a victim of sex trafficking. And um, through that individual um, and my mother played a party in that as well. That is not entirely uncommon, unfortunately, that a lot of times with sex trafficking that we see here at Casa Youth Shelter um, and in other places, um, a family member has a pardon. So there's an incestuous um, component to the abuse. So it was actually one of your teachers at school. Yes, it was. You know, and I don't, I don't want to put fear out if any parents are listening that they have to worry um, about because we don't want people living in fear. So how would you tell a parent to not worry and be neurotic about their child and who, you know, or teen and who they're around? But to be mindful, but not fearful. What yeah, I think it's do? about being vigilant and being vigilant parents. And I think about all the day, all the all the time now because I have two young kids, and um, I I'm like, how do I? What's that right balance of being vigilant and not being an overly obsessive helicopter parent that thinks everyone's out to get my kids? And I don't know. I'm probably gonna have a little bit of enemy because I am a survivor. But I know also that I was an ideal target and I see that now and I know that as an adult and I know as an adult in this service 
in working with kids now here at the shelter that and here's how I was an ideal target for for someone like this that I didn't have a strong male role model or parent in the ho- in the home um I had a parent primary caregiver my mom that was overwhelmed with being a single mom and trying to make ends meet and trying to be the parent that she needed to be while also dealing with her own trauma and her own issues. I was also kind of like a fringe kid and I didn't really fit in anywhere. I grew up in Miami and my mother was, my grandmother was born and raised in Cuba and Miami is heavily populated with um, a Latin population, but I don't, I'm very white presenting. My Spanish is terrible. So I was like never Latina enough. And my family is also Jewish and we were very poor and that was not super common at the synagogue and also being Cuban. And so I'm like, I wasn't quite Jewish enough. So I just didn't really fit into any one community. And um, I can joke about that now, but I think it also contributed to being someone that felt like really isolated from community. So I didn't have my space. Here's what I would say to parents then. Um, Even if you find like, oh my gosh, we are checking the boxes. We're checking all those boxes of being an ideal target. Yeah, your kids involved in things. One of the things we look here at CASA, we have our four core outcomes and things that we want to case manage our kids through while they're here. And it has to do with their social, emotional well-being, safe and stable housing upon exit and school and employment plans. But there's another one there that I skipped over and it's about personal connectedness. Mm. And that one, when I heard about it, when I learned that this is one of the boxes we're checking for our kids, this personal connecting, I was like, oh my goodness, the light bulbs went off. I'm like, I didn't have that. No wonder I was such a prime victim for these experiences. I wasn't involved in sports when I was in, in middle school. I didn't have clubs or service groups, or I wasn't part of any youth groups or things like that. Um, get your kids involved in some things, whether it's sports or a youth group, whatever it is, find them a place to connect with others so that you build a community and a network um, to help your child. What could it be um, like Boys and Girls Club or YMCA and things like that after school activities? It can. Those are often, unfortunately, more like aftercare driven. So it's kind of like we're babysitting your child in exchange for money or whatever. It's like Get your kid involved in something where they elect to go and they have maybe a team or a group that where they're held accountable in some way. Um, I did eventually do some things in high school that were really helpful. And and I know that now as an adult, I look to involve myself in everything on all the places. And um, and I want my my kids to to do the same now. So that's part of our, our care plan with our kids. We want to get them involved in some youth group, a community service group, but they're giving back to the community, something else out there. Sports are great, um, but there's a ton of options. Student government. Yeah, and even like there's a lot of schools have like any type of arts, right? There's there's music, yes. there's band, there's acting, singing. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking back, grateful that my now 24-year-old who was diagnosed with Asperger's and ADHD at six, and I was neurotic about him, like not having friends. And I, you know, always feared this suicide thing and um, which I healed my neurotic <laughs> neurosis. Um, but for him, like doing, being on the wrestling team was profound and having that connection. And that's the thing, that connection to another one. Um, 
Yeah, but yeah, um, and it's interesting because um, I know there are some people that are on sports, and unfortunately, you know, there's stuff there that there's some, you know, some of the coaches. Um, definitely, I've heard situations where coaches, you know, take advantage of some of their players. So, yes, my- or in a church youth group, I've heard the horror stories as well. It, yes, um, and that's why we have to, no matter where we're taking our kids, we have to be vigilant parents because unfortunately the worst of humanity will exist in any place that there is humanity but you know what okay so let's just admit (laughs) parents are sometimes the problem I had zero for two right with pedophile pedophile or dad and my mom was manic by you know bipolar um so but I feel like we all as a society need to come together we need to be on the lookout whether it's kids looking out for each other they see something going on if it's somebody at the schools somebody even at temples or churches whatever I feel like all of us coming together because anytime something happens with mental health with a child and even god forbid they go off and shooting a gun there's always something no one's like oh I thought they were the perfect child there's always things that are there that are red flags that we need to all come together and really work towards um preventing you know so right there's always and it's that that little voice inside you your gut like listen to your gut what's the worst that could happen that you're the parent that's like overly protective I would much rather be the overly protective parent than of course have my child experience what I experienced or what you experienced and I recall and my uncle will say, will share now, you know, why was this guy always at your house? Why was he buying you a car? Why was he always hanging out with you as a 13? Like, and he would make jokes and make comments because something didn't sit right with him. And everyone dismissed him and, and said, you know, oh, be quiet. He's doing wonderful things for them and giving so much to the family. Like, no, it's not right. It's not right. And that is part of the grooming process. This It's usually a pillar of the community someone that is very well respected, like a teacher or a youth leader at, at, at a church or something like that. And, and then someone that's like beloved the most, he was the most popular teacher, the most popular person that everyone loves. They're very good at what they do and can be incredibly generous so that you want to receive whatever it is for us. It was a car. It was, a, it was a brand new car, which how do you, how I, I, I understand, I have, empathy for my mother and I understand how do you say no to that how do you listen to your gut but um I share my story as a warning and I share it more more importantly for every single one of our kids that has experienced something similar and there are so so many who have a nearly identical story to mine so many. And, you know, the irony is that we both convened, uh, met recently, we're both raised Jewish. I've never heard of anything in the Jewish community happening like this. Um, and now it's, <laughs> you know, I, I think one and two, one and three, it's happened too. that whether they've been molested or sex trafficked or just something, it is unbelievable how many, I've spoken to so many people, my husband's an OBGYN, I speak to his patients about my story. And they're like, Oh my God, when I was five years old, that happened to me too. I never told anybody. I'm like, that is too much for you to hold in your hope, the guilt, the grief, the sadness, and it's going to manifest the shame, the shame, blame and guilt. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
and that we were victims. We're all just, and not just all, but yeah, we're just victims and to release the shame, blame, guilt. And um, yeah, it's a whole journey because we're going to have the emotional or physical disease. It will just eat us alive, uh, you know, from the inside out and we don't really realize yeah. excuse me and, and that's why I have to share I have to share for me for my healing my process but for every single kid out there that's going to experience all of that shame and torture themselves that they were responsible because you think you think the guilt you think you respond what did I do wrong what could I have done differently what could I have said and and honey it's not you and it gets better and it's okay and and you can you can go to law school and you can become a CEO or, or not, or you can just be a good human and just be happy. Right. Just so thankfully, um, you know, I've had a spiritual awakening during my uh, manic episode and that just really helped me um, do my human work and work really hard to be able to be weaned off my medication, though my goal is to be stable, not even to get off the medication, but I'm glad I was able to. But thank God I had my spirituality because a couple of years ago when my daughter um, called me and she's been working with a shaman, a female shaman for about seven years on her own um, anxiety and depression. And she says, mom, I had a vision. I was so excited. And Okay. And then she's like, yeah, my first pitching lesson, I didn't pitch. I went to the shed and I muted the phone. I almost hyperventilated. And I was like, and then I said to myself, Mara, this is not, you had no control. This was her journey. Do not feel guilty. And thank God I was able to help her, you know, get uh, heal through it. But um, even as a mother of a child that's gone through things um, and knowing that there's only so much we can do. I believe that people have their own journeys and we are not in control. So that's a whole nother aspect that I want to put out there. Um, you know, I don't know what parent doesn't have guilt I, as a parent, right? For like, oh my goodness, everyone I speak to. And I was just speaking to somebody this morning who is 30 years old, who has a cat and she has cat, cat guilt. And I was kind of laughing and joking around, but not, but like, oh my God, the amount of guilt people hold on to. Um, unbelievable so I just want to like you know inspire everyone to like release your blame shame guilt anger resentment fear and all that and if you are living with a lot of fear of like you know worried about your children like that's really going to affect you it's going to eat you alive and it's going to affect them and I would inspire you also to reach out for help because there are amazing people that could help us release that fear so true. Um, so what message would you like every child to hear? And what would you like every parent to hear to help their child? Hmm. I'll share that as it relates to, especially the work that I'm doing that I, I think what I want all parents and all and kids to know is that not every kid is going to need a shelter and that's all right. And that's, and that's fine. We're here if you do, but I don't know if you could find me a kid that can't benefit from counseling and therapy. And that's what I want everyone to know. I, Cause I think that we're, we're getting really good as a society about talking about the stigma that they're the negative stigma towards mental health work, but we're not fixing it. Like we're calling it out, but I don't know that we're improving any just yet. So um, let's call it what it is. And then let's take some action and do something about it. So that we're here. We have the shelter. We have these 12 beds. 
one of the only facilities around. We are the only one of this kind between Culver City and Huntington Beach. And that's okay if you don't ever need our beds and that's, and that's fine. And I hope you don't, I hope you don't. But I don't know that you're gonna find me a kid especially a teenager that cannot benefit from some mental health services. So if you're okay with approaching that um, understanding, then let us know because we're here to assist you. That is so beautiful. And I always say we're spiritual beings having a human experience and we all, every single person has childhood trauma from three to seven years old. It could be something that you were told not to pick up an egg by your grandmother and you picked it up and dropped it. And she says, you're no good. And that's the story. Or it could be something more severe like what you and I went through. So absolutely. And the sooner we help our precious youth releasing their fears, anxiety, shame, blame, guilt, and all that normal emotions, but help them process it instead of ignoring it and keeping it down, we will transform society. And if we all work together, we could do it, God willing, in one generation. That's right. That's right. Community impact and generational impact in one amazing so how do people get in touch with you and or casa youth shelter oh you can find me anywhere i'm everywhere i love all the things you can find me on social media i'm all over linkedin that's one of my favorite platforms um and um my email address we can share that in the in the comment bar too yeah uh, but yeah email linkedin instagram website you pick your Pick your poison. I'm there. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll list all that in the show information. And Jessica, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And all of our friends out there, don't forget that you are amazing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.